Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and Arthur Black is in Sedona with the Vortexes at the moment. Um, so I'm sitting here again today, solo, uh, but not entirely solo. I've got Michael Huber as a guest on the show today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Michael, is you're currently the president of the, the Indianapolis? Indy, Indy Chamber. Yeah, we're yeah. a um, the organization's about 130 years old. We're a chamber of commerce, but also a regional economic development uh, organization. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's great. We 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 lobby for those issues that try to improve the economic climate. We also are involved in attracting and expanding business in um, the Indianapolis region. So some of our efforts are very urban focused. Some of them are nine county focused. Um, we also are growing as a micro lending and small business lending organization. So that's really yes, that's really interesting. And um, you're like we, the most uh, well well versed and well educated speaker we've I had on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, there's so so like the. Um, the Amazon sweepstakes, which we can talk about that. Was oh, jeez, that's we right. Were, yeah. we, were, we were the group that pulled that together and funded that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot of variety every day, and we have about 2,000 members. So, yeah, it's, that's good. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of cities um, look to the, the their chambers of commerce, you know, to, to kind of help things along in, in a number of ways in economic development. But I wanted to have you on the show because, you know, Indianapolis, as well as a lot of the country, is starting to see this really uh, – large wave of economic development as it relates to like restaurants and bars and other kind of food and beverage, uh, particularly here in the Midwest, we're seeing a lot of breweries open and things like that. And, um, you know, especially outside of like the traditional cities where you think of, I always talk like there's, there's more going on and, uh, and a lot of parts of the country other than New York and San Francisco. Like I love yeah. those cities, but there's a lot of stuff going on in between. And I think that gets yep. forgotten about, but you, um, Prior to uh, working with the chamber, you actually were deputy mayor of Indianapolis. Correct? I was, yeah, for five years. That was a great, a great experience. That's around the time we met because I came into your restaurants at yeah, least twice man. a week. Yeah, you were, <laughs> you know, you were so, here quite a lot. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it's just it's so interesting. I think about well, that. That was a decade ago mm. when we met, and and I man, how, it doesn't it went fast. I know, and how little I really knew or appreciated this. And so, well, you're young. Like, I mean, how old were you? I'm then? 43. Oh, you're 43. So I, was, I, was 30, 30. I was in my early 30s. Yeah, but you were a friggin' deputy mayor. <laughs> you know, I don't like, know. Yeah, <laughs> well, right place, right time. I, I, um, I was trying to figure out how to run a Thai restaurant, and you were like running the city. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other conversation because you, you, and a lot of your listeners, you guys who put and women who put real equity and risk in the game. See, I've never had that. Like, I've had some. I've been, I've been privileged to serve in some roles, but just the the um, kind of the grind of running a successful business I'm totally fascinated with, but that's that's so that's another conversation. <laughs> it's probably a lot less interesting than you think it is. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I, and, but I did I did read your post from a few years ago when you either opened or reopened Rook. It was basically like your, your oh, blog the meltdown. about the meltdown. This is basically, this is how it is. It I read is that. actually still available on the Shift Drink website. I actually okay. went back through um, that old post because that was when I was yeah. running a personal blog. Yeah. And I went back through and we had mentioned it when we had an interview Gosh, this was towards the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. We interviewed Jake Kenneman uh, and uh, Josh from Central State. Yep. And yeah, the, Jake refers back to that as well. Because, I mean, it was literally like I was in the middle of a panic attack. And I'm yeah. like, I just got to get this down. So that was like, you know, remember Steve Albini, The Problem with Music from like 1993? No. Steve, he, wrote, he writes this screed called The Problem with Music in 1993. Steve Albini, your post was like that for restaurants. <laughs> for real. That's <laughs> interesting that people, I mean, people really latched onto that yeah. at the time, which was... To me, it was just catharsis, yeah. you know, because I 
was stuck in traffic. I was trying to hunt down um, something that every one of my distributors was out of, and I literally yeah. drove the city that day. And then I was just I was trying to make it to another place that was. I don't know, just a few miles away, but yeah. it was going to take me like an hour and a half to get there in my car because of traffic. Yeah. Yeah, it was not good. No, it's good. It's a good post. <laughs> yeah, I, the, I think one of the reasons that I, I'm, I'm pre- and appreciative of you and Arthur for doing the show because I've learned about so many people that I'm like, I'm like, why didn't I not know this person? You know, I, I live and breathe this stuff in Indianapolis, and I've discovered a lot of people that I, that I didn't know previously from listening to the podcast. I'm really interested in this stuff because definitely 20 years ago and some people might say 10 years ago you talk about when you talk about economic development what grows a city's economy two three decades ago it was about growing the tax base and having a good business climate whatever that means having you know you know a lot of politicians would say low taxes and easy regulations and things like that and and i do i do think that that business owners like yourself don't want to see you know overt government waste but cities that are experiencing growth um it's all about talent and it's all about creative people who want to live in your city sure yeah and, and it, it seems so obvious today but i'm telling you you know as re- definitely as recently as the 1990s maybe and maybe even early to mid 2000s that was not the case right so now fast forward to today restaurants bars craft brewers distilleries are all part of that conversation because it's definitely had a huge impact on cities like portland Austin, Texas, going down the list. And then there's been, I mean, compared to what it was 10 years ago, it's been an explosion in Indianapolis. Yeah, and and I've seen it everywhere. We travel a little bit, you know, for the show. I mean, even internationally, we've seen the same thing happening everywhere, regardless of the size of the city. Um, Almost to the point where it's like the growth of our industries outpacing the labor force, you know. Um, But like, where, where do you think that shift in thinking came from, you know, between the 90s up to where we are today, where it was just treated as like, let's grow our tax base. And like, instead of putting in that kind of energy into, you know, Again, we're, I'm always focused on food and beverage, yeah. but, you know. So I think definitely a lot of it is the mobility of the younger worker and how, you know, you and I are Gen X. And so we're kind of in between, you know, the boomers and the huge shift with the, the millennials and Gen Y. Gen Y is the one behind the millennials, right? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I, don't, I don't know I what so. the hell anybody but, is. But, 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 <laughs> so we just we're, heard so much about Gen X when we were I, growing up. Yeah, <laughs> you, and I, you and I are sort of like the, the bridge or the pivot point because – um, in our parents' generation, it was much more common that you'd move, you know, people in our parents' generation would move around for a job and things like that. And then somewhere, um, you know, maybe maybe with the dot-com activity in the late 90s and early 2000s, you get a larger and larger percentage of the workforce, especially people who have either high degrees of education or technical expertise, who start discovering we can kind of live wherever we want. Then you also get with technology and differentiation between, you know, there's there's the tech sector, but then there are subsectors and sub subsectors right, and yeah. things like that. They start to like they, those skills start to congregate in like places. Of course, the Bay Area, Seattle, you know, other places with biotech. Uh, Indianapolis is very fortunate for a city of two million for our for the biotech presence that we have here. San Diego is another one, and so I think it, the presence of uh, Lilly Pharmaceuticals is probably huge, is largely uh, the uh, the driving force behind that yeah, that's just a, a guess <laughs> generation you know generations of, of of kids who are either either i'm going to say either college educated or they've got some very specific expertise because there's not always not always the same discover oh i can kind of live anywhere and um and 
now, now today, I mean, you talk to like, like I can talk to a Purdue engineer, let's say she's 22 years old and her, her, she's, she, her heart is set on Seattle. No amount of me telling her that the rent in Indianapolis is three times less. If she's set on Seattle, she's going to Seattle. Right. And so more recently as the, as younger workers get priced out of some of these cities that have had, you know, now I'm talking about New York, mm-hmm. San Francisco, um, Seattle. Now cities in Indianapolis, of Indianapolis's size, and we compete more on a tier with Nashville, Tennessee, Columbus, Ohio, Raleigh, North Carolina. Denver and Austin are kind of aspirational because they're growing at, a, at an entirely different pace. But, but Indy's in pretty good company among the, the tier of cities in that, you know, 25, 30, 35, 40 population. All those cities are now asking themselves, how can we do something that's unique and benefit from, you know, this high mobility of the younger worker? Part of the problem is um, you want to have, okay, you've got protected bike lanes. Everybody's got protected bike lanes, right? You've got, you want craft beer. Everybody's got craft beer now. So, right. so, so yeah. you can't, Indy can't make itself unique just by having all these great local restaurants and breweries. It's got to be something more than that. You know, we have to find a way to attract and retain individuals that's true to who we are. And the organic growth of the restaurant, and you've been a huge part of that, the organic growth of our restaurants and the craft beer and distiller scene here in the last 10 years has been it's been Very crazy, exciting. man. I, yeah. I, the growth of the the uh, craft brewing scene here, like like I said, we travel a bit, and obviously uh, our location here in the Midwest, you know, gives us a little bit of a, um, an easy jumping off point to get anywhere relatively quickly, other than the West Coast. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's exploded on a level that I have not seen in really yeah. any other cities. Everything else seems to be on par. It's really it's it's growing very quickly. But man, yeah. the, I, God, I think probably nine years ago, I thought, geez. We've got to be like at the tipping point of where we can't handle another brewery. Yeah, that was a decade ago. There's a, that was 400 breweries yeah. ago, you know. So, but you guys do that, right? I mean, you actually travel as part of a group with the chamber, right? Because yeah. I know you've invited me a couple times, I, but I, we I haven't have. been able to do it. We did Denver last year. We'd love to. We're going to San Antonio next year, which isn't as much of an aspirational city as Denver and Seattle. Last couple we've done, that we've done, but we re, we we take 100 to 110 CEOs and business owners to a different city every year. We really try to get immersed in that city for three days, and you walk you walk away getting to know that city very well. But you also end up appreciating things about Indianapolis that maybe you didn't appreciate. Sure, so yeah. This, so this fall is going to be San Antonio. You know, I should, th- I want to throw a question back on you, which I've been meaning to ask you. So <laughs> if you've, I know, I, know I said no gotcha show. questions. It's your show. Yeah, right. way around. It's your show. <laughs> if you were, cause I'm, I, again, I struggle the whole, the whole point of, you know, everybody's got local restaurants and many cities are having the craft beer thing, but with the, you know, Indy's got a disproportionate share of great restaurants that have opened in the last five to 10 years. And if you were going to, it might be an unfair question. If you were going to try to bottle up some kind of an identity, what would that look like or some kind of a commonality? Because you, you guys and women, you all know each other pretty mm-hmm. much. And you know each other well. You mean um, as far as like what we, we were gonna, what our city kind of brings to the table when it comes yeah, to what, the, the yeah, food and beverage and, industry? Yeah, you and Jonathan and I, I say the one know, thing that I think that Indianapolis really showcases as well, and it's not it's not exclusive to Indianapolis, um, but the, one of the reasons that I really like our vibe here, and it also draws me to other cities. Like I, I'm I'm very often talking about the virtues of the service industry in Washington D.C. I absolutely love it. I'm going to be there in like a month. Uh, Megan Barnes, if you're listening, probably going to hit you up for an interview. Um, but we, I really dig it. And the reason I dig it is because of the hospitality itself, right? 
there's this uh, thread that you can definitely see as you go that there's an attitude that the, the service actually takes. It feels very Midwestern um, because everybody always ascribes that to the Midwest, right? Like it's Hoosier hospitality, we say in Indianapolis, yeah. but I mean, in the Midwest, we're kind of known as these like, oh, shucks, and everybody's really nice, yeah. but it's not untrue. I, you know, I hold, I hold doors open for people. I say, excuse me, or pardon me, when I actually bump into someone, like we tend to be just automatically overly like polite. Yeah. And even in Chicago, uh, which it's kind of a push-pull, right? So, so, I mean, one of the largest cities in the country, but also still in the Midwest. So I find that you get a little bit of that um, kind of like large city attitude, but at the same time, it's just a very friendly place to go. I love to go dining in Chicago and I feel like the hospitality is really there, but that's where I see the strength of, um, you know, particularly Midwestern cities and yeah. in Indianapolis is that we all get along, the hospitality, we, we take it seriously. I mean, sometimes, you know, uh, we can all have shitty days and, you know, not be yeah. so polite. But um, I think in general, when you compare that to a lot of other cities where you kind of really get this aloof attitude, um, that, that's when I start to miss home. And, or like I said, on the other side of that equation, or, you know, that's when I'm drawn to a city. Yeah. Like, that's why I like to go to DC. So uh, to answer your question, I guess, you know, if I were to paint uh, a picture and like of what, what do I think defines us? I think it's that kind of familial like service and that, you know, we, we really, it's just ingrained in us. We were all yeah. raised that way. If you're from Indianapolis or Indiana, yeah. like you were just raised to be polite. It also <laughs> seems like I, again, I know maybe, um, generalizing, but it seems like you and that core group of, um, restaurant owners and entrepreneurs here are really committed to doing like high, very high quality food, but that's accessible to anyone. And that just seems like, and I don't know if you all got together and said, this is what we're going to be. <laughs> yeah. We but all had like, a big meeting. But like, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, but, but is that, it seems like, and I mean, I, mean, I guess technically that's what you do. It seems right? like there's kind of an ethos of that. And maybe that I was just, I was just going off your kind of Midwestern. I think we're all just kind of into different stuff. You know, I mean, I always joke that like, if we wanted to, uh, we wanted to actually make some money, we ought to just sell, sell all these places and like join in and buy a chain of McDonald's. <laughs> um, but no, I think we just, all of us uh, decided that it was, you know, this is our career, so we might as well enjoy going to work every day. Yeah. I mean, it's already a trying business. It's even yeah. more trying when you, you know, stack the cards against you, you know, by doing something you don't like. I mean, yeah. I spent, you know, 15 years in, in chain restaurants that I was miserable when I went to work every day. So, yeah. I mean, even on my worst day here, I, I'm still very, you know, lucky and honored to be able to like kind of take care of the community here and having yeah. been part of the growth of this neighborhood. So, so the, another stat, it's, well, it's not really a stat, it's a finding from like 10 years ago. So, um, if you were, if you were, if you were a mayor of any city <laughs> and like playing almost like Sim City, you had like your map, your map out, your, um, your, lowest risk, highest impact investment to change neighborhood identity as a restaurant. Really? Even given the high risk of opening restaurants and the high turnover of restaurants, your, the thi the, your lowest risk, lowest cost investment that can change the identity of a place is a restaurant. And I'd have to, pull, I'd have to dust off that sure. study because it's, it's eight or I mean, nine years old. Do you find old. that that's been the case here in Indianapolis? Yes. That that's been a driving factor? I know a lot yeah. of people talk about artists make yeah. neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, and so what, everybody, what everybody's trying to figure out in our city and in others is... And I don't know, and I think, and actually, I think the, the, the answer to the question is different based on the, the dy market dynamics where you are. And that is, if you are like city government or if you're a community organization, do you 
do you try to manufacture that and make you know what I mean and make it make a this corner right, an attractive right, right. place for us? Do you try to catalyze it with certain elements? You know, like we're trying to you know stim, st- uh, uh, stimulate more mixed use development in certain parts of the city, or do you just stay out of the way and create a better right. sandbox where you've got? You so know, that's my question, yeah. right? So how exactly? So you know. Whether or not, I mean, if you're the hypothetical mayor here in this yeah. situation and you want to catalyze the growth of that or yeah. you want to encourage the growth of that, I mean, how does one do that yeah. without directly saying, hey, I'm going to open a restaurant here? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's where, like, the, when the government, um, when, you know, like city plans, and this is when you and I became friends, you yeah. know, a decade ago when you were with the mayor's office, I just always just floored me how, how, forward thinking you guys are you're like oh this is this great thing that's going to be fantastic in 30 years when we finally pull it off and like i'm thinking about like how am i going to staff the kitchen tomorrow you know but how does one like grow that i mean how okay so we've determined already that like restaurants help you know to grow neighborhoods and it's it's a, a relatively low cost high impact way to do it but how do you get people to actually do it so i think um if you're a city government let's say city government slash civic community i think First, I think you've got to have a foundation of competence and not being overly bureaucratic. And that's not, I don't want to, I don't want to underrate that because that's kind of hard, you know? So like, like, um, a lot of, you have a lot of well-intentioned bureaucrats who are not necessarily plugged into the fact that business owners don't like risk, Right. you know, business owners don't like unexpected street closures put right in front of them. We were talking just before, uh, just before the show today. I just found out uh, that they're going to close the street directly in front of my business for a month and a half. We're going to dig dig into that. (laughs) But you know, but so, so I think, I think level one, there's gotta be some, there's gotta be some level of bureaucratic or let's say services competence because then you don't have anything to work with. I think then um, number two, relationships with people who do invest the capital. So you've got to. So you, if you've got some services, bureaucratic competence, then you you got to develop some credibility around the people who invest the money. Because government's money, you know, you can you could you could co-locate, you know, a school and a health department thing to you know with with some of the tools that government has, but it's not going to get you the kind of investment needed to do something like you know your restaurant where we are now. Um, and it's a lot through relationships with with you know some of your more forward thinking developers, you know architects and people like that. And then third is a more creative use of your incentives, whether they're tax incentives. You know we're doing a lot more in micro lending, although we're we're still kind of just discovering you know how to utilize these tools that we have. Um, we're doing a lot more in the city of pulling out all the stops in a low income area where you know there are certain areas of the city we should just be doing all automatic you know ten year tax abatements. Sure. And then yeah, we probably we probably shouldn't we probably should be more restrictive incentivizing more jobs like in in our in indianapolis geist reservoir you know which is which where where which is a really the market's really working really well and so i think that level three is with the tools that government has is being much more surgical as to where they're applied now i'll tell you um in most cities mixed use developments that included residential and restaurants and things like Mm -hmm. that as recently as 10 years ago were really off the table for the most part when it came to those tax incentives because those because um, those incentives were reserved for like you know 
offices and plants that were creating jobs and things like that. And there really wasn't a formula or a way of evaluating the impact of a restaurant as part of a mixed use development that has changed. So here in Indianapolis, you know, you know, uh, the Von Dalens, you know, they, yep. they were, they made, they made a strong case. Uh, it was the first deal of its kind where the city, um, uh, gave them some incentives for the hinge building here on Virginia Avenue. And so in some ways there, in some ways, Indianapolis, there's, there are other cities who got into that game a lot earlier. Um, but, um, Indianapolis has used similar techniques now to, um, use incentives to encourage dense housing and mixed use development, especially if it's like in low to moderate income areas, especially if it's got an affordable housing component to it. So as these mixed use buildings are going up and, and, uh, as you said, the, the Von Dalens were kind of groundbreaking in that particular arena, which that we were one of the first leases in that building, actually, um, we've since moved, but we're still with them. Yeah. Um, but so kind of as these things are going up, you're creating density. But, you know, how do you, how do you balance that out with, like, pushing people out of the neighborhood? Yeah. Because the rents in this neighborhood where we are now, and it's happened across the country, yeah. right? Like, I think there was famously an article that said, like, Indianapolis or Fountain Square is the Brooklyn of Indianapolis. And yeah. everybody took issue with that. Like, we're, no, we're not. We're Fountain Square. We're, you know, Brooklyn's Brooklyn. Yeah. Fountain Square is Fountain Square. We don't need to all be in the same boat. But, like there is a valid comparison where you start yeah. to see neighborhoods that were previously very affordable by the people living there. And we're seeing it here in this neighborhood where people are, are being priced out of the, the services. Like, I mean, there's, there is no grocery store in this neighborhood. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, for a lot of the people who live here, it's not a big deal because there's tons of restaurants to eat at. There's a whole foods, you know, uh, you know, a, a 10 minute Uber away. But I mean, if you don't have the means to be able to grab an Uber or things like that, you know, like what is, how do you balance out the, the kind of growth of yeah. the economic growth of a neighborhood at the same time with like keeping the integrity of the community? Um, you, you've definitely got to keep an eye on affordable housing and on housing. And so what's, what's crazy is in Indianapolis, but in so many other, other cities as well, you have this dynamic where, um, neighbors and city officials will look at a neighborhood and say, wow, that, that neighborhood is, has got some challenges, you know, we, we, and, 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 you know, they can't imagine the, the neighborhood, um, let's say just, just with new development there, let alone gentrifying, which is, which comes later for, for, which is good and bad. Um, and so, and then you wake up one morning and it's like, oh, this neighborhood is gentrified and people <laughs> right, pushed out. Yeah. So what, 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 um, cities like Indianapolis are doing and others is trying to be a lot more strategic when it comes to the mix of housing. So you don't just wake up one morning and then all of a sudden the rents have gone way up mm -hmm. because of this, you know, new retail district or whatever the case may be. People are, people are, uh, in cities are doing much more creative things with affordable housing and then with new housing developments, making sure that, um, using data to sort of analyze the neighborhood dynamics and make sure that, you know, X units are reserved for affordable housing. The problem is in a lot of cities that comes too late. And, and now, now, one thing I would say to your listeners is, um, I bet I bet many of them know like their their mayor, and I many of them know like their local community development corporation. But I also bet a lot of them don't. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you're an entrepreneur like Ed, you have a lot of social capital and I'll probably a lot more say over how decisions get made in your city than you really think you do. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that, I know that, you know, you've all, you know, you, you, you're <laughs> until the day you die, you're probably going to be thinking about yourself as partly punk rock, right? It's who you are. It's part of your identity. You More know, metal, but metal, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Metal, right, metal, right, metal, you're part metal, part jazz, right? Yeah. Part metal, yeah. part bebop. But, but, <laughs> right. but, 
but the fact is, you know, by, by virtue of having as many restaurants as you have and having made the impact on the city, you've got a ton of social capital. And, and I would say to your listeners, you know, don't be shy and think about how you spend that social capital, because in every, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably a lot more than you think it is in your city, wherever you're listening to this. So as you're developing these things out and you're, you're drawing people in and, and it, I, 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 trying to figure out how like I want to phrase this because you know a lot of these things kind of went hand in hand we talked a little bit earlier um before we sat down today you you asked about uh, the kind of growth that we saw in this neighborhood back in 2008 and I'm like yeah we've we've gone up but hell everybody went up since 2008 we opened in 08 so um and I also see kind of as you know, f- restaurants and bars have really pl- proliferated, right? I mean, we've seen the cocktail scene grow immensely, and and um, I always think ourselves to be very lucky on the cocktail side of this thing is that we, at the same time that you were really starting to see some badass cocktail bars pop up anywhere in the country, yeah. like we were, ha- that was happening here beforehand, and that doesn't always kind of happen in Indianapolis. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say we're always behind the times, but, yeah. you know, at a time when you were really starting to see places like Violet Hour open in Chicago, you know, we were having places open here in Indianapolis like Libertine mm-hmm. and the Ball and Biscuit. And I mean, it changed the yeah. game for us. Um, but like, so as those things kind of went hand in hand in 2008, 2009, 2010, but like also you're talking about, um, you know, getting people to the city to kind of yeah. increase that, uh, the traffic and increase the, um, I guess, uh, population, you know, because that increases the tax base and all that. But like, is at the same time that you were already seeing a proliferation of restaurants and bars yeah. opening, people were paying attention to what they eat. Right. They're paying attention to what they drink. So like, how do you put a metric? Like, how do you measure yeah. exactly like we did X, Y, and Z and that brought in all these bars and all these restaurants and now look how successful yeah. we are, you know? So it's, it's hard because you're talking about, you know, this combination of like, and this is the know, most like technical no, and, yeah. sc- and scholarly I, that this show has ever been. I think, <laughs> We're like, we need to bring this I'm down. So honored. <laughs> okay. So, so I think, I think, okay. So I, I think it's monitoring two opposing forces, which are both really important. So let's say top line and bottom line. So we, um, we are, we're always watching for in, in Indianapolis, for those of you who aren't from Indianapolis, we, with the, the pharma and life sciences industry, which brings in lots of people from around the country and internationally. We care a lot about growing, continuing to grow that sector. We have the second largest uh, Salesforce office in the world. And so we've got this whole marketing yes, tech sector. Yes, I love that Salesforce <laughs> office for one very distinct reason, because it makes the direct flight to San Francisco right. incredibly affordable. That's like right. That's right. you can fly to San yeah. Francisco cheaper from here than you can fly to like Des Moines. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. We just took that flight for, for Christmas <laughs> to see my wife's family in the Bay area. And so Cummins engine and rolls, the biggest rolls Royce, uh, uh, presence here, Cummins engine. So we've, we've got these great industries that attract a lot of technical workers. And so, and all, including a lot of workers, who go to our universities, a lot of people internationally. So I wake up every day trying to figure out what do they need to continue to thrive. 20 years ago, it was a lot more uh, tax regulatory issues. Mm-hmm. Now it's more quality of life. And so we're, we're always monitoring that. Now, the, that's the first part of the equation. So what are those core, those core industries that drive the top line growth of Indianapolis? What do they want? What do they need? It's becoming more about quality of life and talent. On the other side of the coin, though, is to make sure that 
as we try to grow those industries, we aren't doing so in a way that displays, that displaces low to moderate income people. You want to grow them in a way that creates more opportunities for the people who live in your city. Now, it's not just a zero-sum game. Sometimes it gets portrayed as a zero-sum game that, um, you know, if, if, if Salesforce gets something and somebody in, a, in an urban neighborhood, you know, low-income neighborhood doesn't get something, the fact is, as Salesforce grows and as, as your life sciences sector grows, it creates all kinds of service jobs that's, that serve that, that growth. Um, healthcare jobs, you know, um, jobs in the restaurant, you know, food and beverage industry and things like that. But, but the, my best answer to your question is you've both are really important and you've got to monitor both so that they're working, you're both your, your attraction of other people from other markets, but also the quality of life for your low to moderate income folks. And that they're gaining opportunities to self-sufficiency as much as possible because too many cities have grown way too fast and only, I mean, I don't want to say they only cared about growth, but they were only paying attention to the growth and they weren't paying attention to mass displacement of people. And in, in America, what's interesting, in America, and I'll ask your listeners from other cities, think about this, historic neighborhoods are the first places that a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself are drawn to. It's these inner suburbs that are becoming, mm-hmm. so just in our own city of Indianapolis, you draw a three to four mile radius around downtown and these are these are now into these were suburban neighborhoods in the 50s and 60s those are the places that are becoming the lower income areas higher poverty areas the historic neighborhoods which used to have higher you know poverty and higher crime you know 20 years ago are now the areas that are becoming really hot and so it's it's a it's a it's definitely something we have to yeah, think about yeah man i just was driving down um, meridian street the other day Taking a shortcut home, and I saw that uh, Scarlet Lane opened up a tap a tap room over there in like Sacred Heart. I think it's still considered Sacred Heart over there, but yep. that that was the neighborhood when I was growing up. I was like looking at all those like old historic houses in yep. there, but they were just like dilapidated and you know like yeah. probably squatters sitting in them and stuff. And I'm yep. like, God, if we were in any other large city, you know, you would have yep. already seen like a pub and on every corner and things yeah. like that. And so like, I'm, I'm gl- happy to see that there's like a now a tap house. Of course, right. like Indianapolis, man, we do, we seem to not get enough of the, of the breweries, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm not really a big beer drinker. Like I do yeah. drink beer. I do enjoy it, but I'm more often, uh, uh, cocktails or wine. Yeah. So we need to, we need to see some more, uh, some more, I don't want to say, uh, yeah, just some bottle shops and boutique wineries would be fantastic. I mean, we got, we got several, but it, it, not like breweries, man. There's, I, do you have any numbers? I mean, you're, come on, you're the stat guy. No, you got all the shit. numbers in your head. No, no I no, said no I gotcha should. moments, and I, I just know, busted I you. Should. I mean, the craft beer. It changes every day. The growth, yeah. The <laughs> Wait, growth three in, more just opened right yeah, now. It's crazy. Yeah, the, gro- <laughs> the growth in craft beer had, industry has been really exciting here. And then more of the, you know, art, we call them artisan distillers. I mean, they've, they've yeah, yeah, coming yeah. online the last few years, too, has been Well, that great. was, I mean, yeah, because everything was all held back. I mean, nationwide, we just seen an explosion in kind of yeah. like the small craft distillers because yeah. the legislation just made it very impossible and the barrier to entry. It's yeah. still pretty tough though. I and mean, it's still yeah. a pricey kind of way to get into it. And you're yeah. very often relegated to making vodka and gin because yeah. you can actually like try to pay your bills with it before you right. sit around with for aged spirits. What's the next? I mean, is there, see, cause I'm, I'm always behind the curve, right? What's, what's the next thing do you, do you see sort of um, among, um, you know, restaurants, bars, craft beer, distillers, is there something else you can see on the horizon? No, that's emerging? funny. It's funny that you would ask that because, um, <laughs> I'm like, this is like now become a round table with two people. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, th- our business is very like archaic in one way is that we, it's a very simplistic human need, right? Like everybody has to yeah. eat. Restaurants have been around for a very long time. The model that, you know, I think 
even going all the way down to casual restaurants, I mean, there's some sort of like influence from Escoffier, right? Like the way that we organize our kitchens and menus and things like that. So, I mean, what we do hasn't has largely not changed in a hundred plus years. So, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I definitely have tunnel vision. I think a lot of times, you know, I don't. You know, we're, we're not trying to jump on trends, things like that. We've been lucky in, in certain cases to have been party to things that happen to be popular at the moment, the things we're already into, like at Rook with Filipino cuisine, you know, um, with the Inferno Room. I mean, Tiki's, you know, definitely an open water faucet at the moment. You know, there's places opening left and right. But, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm personally anyhow. Um, looking down the road to trying to be like, what's what's going to be the next thing that really changes everything? And I think that's impossible to predict anyway, right? Yeah. Like, it, like I said, 10 years ago, boy, I was proven wrong. If I would have known what I know now, I would open a brewery back then, right. you know? Because right. I thought that we hit, like, ahead nine years ago. Like, yeah. that was it. There was no way we could sustain any more breweries than that. There's been at least 300 open since then. Yeah. And I just think that's wild, man. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's cool. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's definitely, the, the whole city has changed a lot. And I, I do think that it's in large part because of bars and restaurants, because I want to live close to those places, right? right. Um, I live just outside the circle, outside of the city. And it's really, really fucking inconvenient for me to go anywhere to grab a meal, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. a, a good meal. Like, I mean, I can grab yeah. fast food um, really close to, to where I live. But, yeah. it, you know, having an actual decent meal for an affordable price is very difficult for me to do that. Um, but like, I mean, as far as like, so we, we've talked about a little bit how restaurants kind of contribute to that, but I mean, there's also like a nightlife factor, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, the, right. not every part of the city wants nightlife, you know, there's, I mean, cause then you have to start to balance like the, the neighbors with like late night yeah. no, uh, noise. The reason I asked this is cause, um, I know you're a jazz musician. You and I have shared that for, you know, 10 years, big fans of jazz. And if you want to hear how into it I am, you can go back and listen to our episode with uh, Dave Endershek called uh, Dive Bars and Jazz Clubs. Yeah. But, um, you know, like that, that nightlife scene, um, you know, it's, it's different from city to city. I find like, you know, uh, I was just talking to somebody earlier, like, uh, you know, I was in a city recently that had a lot going on until about 12 o'clock and a midnight hit and it was a ghost town. It was just a very kind of sleepy city and we've been historically known as a sleepy city, but I'm not sure that that's entirely still true. Yeah. But, I mean, we're not Vegas. We're not New York. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not a 24-hour city. Um, but, yeah, that's that's another tricky thing because you start to balance, like, the actual bars. Cocktail yeah. bars are a little bit trickier because you start to get neighbors to fight with you over licensing. Right. With music, it's interesting because Indianapolis has got this great history. You and I have talked about it. You know, Indiana Avenue, West oh, Montgomery, man. Freddie Hubbard, J.J. Johnson. People don't know that. People that live here don't know that. don't know that. And so we got to tell that story. I've originally? been here since 01. I grew up closer to St. Louis in, like, southern central Illinois. So I've been here since 01. And I, I moved here, and I was like, this is amazing. And I lived, in fact, I lived in the Continental Hotel on at 400 block of Meridian. Yeah. And people who were... People who had grown up in Indianapolis said, "Is it safe?" And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Didn't I mean, like Billy so Holiday's mad. Day, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like it's and it made, it made me so, it made me so mad because I moved here. I, I moved here. I was pretty fortunate when I moved here because we were kind of already on the upswing. It was two thousand one. My wife's from the Bay Area. Two years here in Indianapolis. She's like, we love going back to the Bay Area and visit, but she's like, we're not leaving Indy. You know, so so just because the accessibility of this place is great, and we both like music, and so you know, we got this music history. 
And and so what what we've discovered. So we're we're part of this music cities initiative that you hear more about in 2019. Really? Yeah, it, it's right, really okay. fun. We're gonna do a. We're I gonna need to we're, talk to you more often. Yeah, man. No. You got stuff well, going it's on just now. starting. So so and it's on it's on our website. If it's indie music cities, but I N D Y. But um, we're gonna map our musical assets like we would a sector, like like the way we'd map the tech sector, right. or map the advanced manufacturing sector. Yeah. And I'm more, like, the look on my face stuff. is one of I puzzlement. Know. Yeah. I know. So because, <laughs> because we've discovered you got the jazz heritage, you've got recent growth with our hip hop, you've got already, you know, a lot of kind of roots music here. A lot of it, you know, you've got festivals on, on Virginia Avenue for, for roots music. Then you've got like do you know, like how Leonard Publishing does literally hundreds of albums up here because it's these here? session musicians on the like on the northwest side of Indianapolis do all this publishing for uh, do those recording for publishing houses. And I stuff. always find that real interesting because it's yeah. like these hidden hidden scenes, yeah. and I'm really. I'm always really interested in yeah. like the esoteric niches of like right. places. Like, I think somebody told me one time when I was like 19, when I was getting my back tattooed, you know, and I was going to a tattoo convention, and they just kind of, they were like a tattoo convention. I was like, yeah, and they're just laughing. They're like, man, yeah. there's a subculture for everything. Yeah, if you look, right. if you yeah. look deep enough, there's a subculture yeah. for it, right? And so like. Yeah, I find those things really interesting, and like the, you yeah. got like all the jazz scene, so and you got, got all that, and there was a. Um, Man, um, yeah, musically, so a buddy of mine from Vegas moved to Seattle because uh, his wife got a job teaching there, and he's a professional musician. He played um, uh, bass trombone. Obviously, he still does. He uh, plays bass trombone. Um, he actually considered Indianapolis as a potential. Um, if any of the listeners out there used to read um, Tasting Las Vegas, it's uh, my buddy Mike Dabransky. But anyhow, uh, Mikey moved up to Seattle to, uh, you know, just because his wife got a gig there. But I, he started recording video game music because there's like some amazing studio. I don't know shit about it because he just told me about it one time. But he actually started getting work because there's not a lot of orchestras yeah. that really use a bass trombone. That's a fucking yeah, low. Right, right, right. But like when you're playing Halo or shit like that, like it's yeah. a bull. Right. Know, I'm like, he's got a gig, right. right? And so he was able to like play on a lot. I think actually he was on one of the Halo games. You know, he's yeah. playing some of the music. I was like, that's real cool. And it's things that are like kind of these hidden niches that you wouldn't it's even crazy. know about, man. So I'll, I'll make this quick. So Reggie Griffin played in a funk band called Manchild in the late 70s. They, they cut at least one album, but it was also, also known because Babyface Edmonds, he was like 18 or 19. He was in Manchild. And then Reggie Griffin was a um, funk guitar player, session player for many years, and he's got a couple grandkids at my kid's school here in Indianapolis. The other night I was down a Wikipedia rabbit hole, and I discovered that <laughs> he, he played on the session of Shaka Khan's cover of I Feel For You by Prince, which became you know the more famous version. Right. But he did not just guitar. He did like the synth programming and everything. So next time I see him at our kid's school, I'm going to try, <laughs> I'm gonna try not, to, not to overwhelm him. But but. We have, you know, we have these these people in our city, and chances are, if you're listening to another city, you've got these kind of, you know, scenes and micro scenes, and so we're going to try to really bring them together. But again, in a way that tells a story that's authentically Indianapolis, not not copying and pasting like the Nashville mm -hmm. playbook yeah. or things like that. And and that's what that's what I would say too. I know I hate to keep keep um, sound like a broken record, but. You know, it's that that social capital that a lot of your listeners have as entrepreneurs. Never assume that these people know each other, right? Because we're discovering we had a we had a meeting in the summer of a lot of these folks who I thought were pretty well known. Many of whom had never many some of whom knew each other. Many of whom had never met each other, especially as you cross genres, right? So there's there are little things that we can do just to kind of put people in the same room. And you know, the chamber of commerce is as establishment as it gets. So the the creativity <laughs> is not right. going to come from me, but 
getting people together and putting them in the same room, you know, who knows where it goes, you know, likely, you know, some, some, some new ideas are going to emerge. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. Cause I mean, I'm, we do get stuck in our four walls. Like, I mean, even though we've got a few locations, I mean, I, I, I work 14, 15 hour days. Yeah. Like the last thing on my mind on a day off is going to a, a, a meeting, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, well, so it, is, that, it is sometimes surprising when I, when I meet somebody and I realize that we've never met. I'm like, how have we never met? Like, you know? So like Denver, when we, we took a group to Denver, that's why we'd love to have you in San Antonio or a future trip. We had 12 state legislators on the trip. Um, four, seven, seven R's and five D's. Like I would love to you know, have them sit next to you, you know, at dinner or something like that. A, because some of them, I just want to see how they'd react. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I never met. This guy never met. cursing, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but no, but I mean, you just get, because they're probably, they're probably people who are in your restaurants and probably just low profile and not, you know, making a big deal of it. No, that's just, a part of the restaurant business that is real cool, um, is that we, we get to meet everybody, right? Yeah. Like, I mean... You know, we couldn't look more different sitting here uh, in the basement studios of Siam Square. Um, I mean, you're wearing a suit and you look like you just got off your, you know, gig, like you just took off the time wearing my floral Hawaiian shirt because I've been over at the Inferno Room all day. And, you know, obviously both my arms are tattooed and all that. Everybody's seen that on Instagram. So, like, but I mean, through the course of 10 years of ownership plus 25 years of just doing this in general, um, yeah, you get to, I mean, there's, CEOs, there's jazz musicians, like yeah. people that you like idolize, right? I yeah. mean, it's and it's real fun to get to know people. Like, um, I mean, going back to the jazz scene, and I know that we're fucking way off topic now, but like you and I both share that love for jazz, and like there was the the late great uh, Dick Dickinson. Um, you know, he popped in a few times before he died. Um, actually, the first time I was ever in a bar, and I told that story at the ch- on the Chatterbox episode, the yeah, jazz man. clubs, but. Uh, he was playing, I mean, Claude Sifferlin, yeah. who, uh, growing up, you know, we would try to sneak into the chatterbox to listen to him play piano, you know? And, um, he's unbelievable. He, this, once we opened here, he was in here probably about once a week, um, in the last two through probably two years of his life, something yeah. like that. And, uh, his wife, uh, I think her name's Renee. Renee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Renee. Um, she came in after he passed and said that, you know, that, uh, this was his favorite restaurant. So oh, she man. continued to come here. And I was like, I'm really like, it was really humbling that I could give something back to him. Yeah. You know, because he had influenced my youth so much yeah. just going to hear him play piano at the Chatterbox. He was amazing. That, you know, I mean, just a great guy and, and that we were able to, like, give yeah. back to him in some small way of, like, hey, I mean, maybe a meal, but at so least it made him happy, you one, know? One, you made me think of a couple things and what, what and reasons why I'm so hopeful for the future of, of our city, but also I think what, what a lot of is happening in a lot of your listeners' cities, and that is so... Like my, I'm not self-promotion, but you know, our band, our <laughs> band played the high five. We play the high five a few times a year. Right on. Yeah. High five is a great venue yeah. in Indianapolis. The, the, I'm going to go see uh, yeah. Marty Friedman uh, yeah. on Valentine's day. Nice. And uh, yeah, there's, they get we're some playing, real we're good We're playing gigs. there on the 16th again. I mean, we're not a national act, but we're a seven piece R and B band and we, we play with a heavy improvisational um, component, but I, Josh Baker, who's again another great entrepreneur like owner yourself, is owner of the Hi Fi promoter. Said, and thanks said, to Josh for sending me those tickets to see Marty Friedman. <laughs> so he said, We finished our gig at midnight. He said, Can you stick around? I never stay out past midnight, but I was like, Sure. By 1 30. So Man, DJ, you're so Republican. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, I'm not. Not, not I'm, anymore. I'm not anymore, right? Independent yeah, independent. Now, yeah, yeah. So, so DJ Action Jackson was playing. And at 1 30, I'm looking around. I'd say the median age in there is like 27 or 28. It was totally diverse. 
it was not this kind of too cool for school vibe that I was yeah. used to when I'd go to like indie rock shows when I was in my 20s. And the vibe was just incredible. And I was like, man. And I said to Josh, I'm like, this is so cool. This is a side of Indianapolis that I don't see as much. And I'm like a paid cheerleader for Indianapolis. Everything you know? changes after 12 o'clock. Like, yeah. I think that in any city, everything changes. We're going to be uh, down in Miami in like three weeks. And I always tell people, like, because I don't know, before the first time I went to Miami, I just, um, I think it, in my head, it was some sort of like Vegas meets Venice Beach kind of situation. And I was not pretty enough, not plastic enough, not a clubber, so that wasn't gonna be my gig. And we got down there, we had a great time. I mean, it was just felt like a small little beach community during the day, because we, we didn't hit the areas where there's a club. As many times as I've now been to Miami, I've never actually even seen a club, because we just don't go to that area. But, um, but man, midnight hit, and then the city gets this weird, like, gritty patina to it. Like, you get this yeah. glow of the green, you know, off the fluorescent tubes and stuff, and I was like, I fucking like this city. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I think I was with yeah. Chris, my partner at the Inferno Room, that that first yeah. night, and, and that we were ever down there. And I was yeah. like, and all the beautiful. People I was like, too. this is yeah. amazing. Like, I mean, it's just it was gritty, and I wanted that. Like, yeah, right. We spent the evening drinking at Max Club Deuce, which is one of my favorite bars in the country, yeah, and, yeah. and yeah, it's it is a different way to like measure what's going on in a city because there's yeah. there's always going to be, you know, that. When we talked about subcultures, right. um, you know th that nightlife is an entirely different situation. Right. Those of us that that are out late or run bars until late, and we don't get to go have a drink until two o'clock in the morning, right. then right. you can then you can learn a lot about a city. I think. I bet the night the night of our it was the fourth year of our tree C H R E E C E. Oh yeah, festival. oh you were there for yeah, tree. Yeah, Helen and I went for the first time this year, and it, it was like again, it's like not super late. It was like eleven thirty. Big man, it has. And I said I said to Helen, I'm like, if I had if I had like a a 25 year old young man or young woman <laughs> who had no impression of Indianapolis, I would want them to parachute in right now. You know what I mean? Cause it's, yeah, it's, it's a great music. Time. It's a, you know, combination of national, national and local, uh, hip hop acts. But, um, uh, it's, um, yeah, it was just, again, very, very diverse crowd, very just positive vibe. You know, everybody having fun. It's just really, really cool. So, I mean, that draws into like what we were talking about, you yeah. know, we were talking about restaurants and bars and how you like, you know, you, get the people to be into those yeah. things and that drives economic growth. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you're putting on like festivals, things like that, but yeah, I mean, it's very homegrown. I mean, that's, um, and so one thing, uh, uh, one thing that I did want to mention on trees, is it, uh, uh, uh is it Oreo? Sean, yeah. Oreo uh, Jones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought yeah it was and Ron Minor and, uh, and Jay Brookins. Yeah. Right yeah they're great. You know, so, um, a colleague of mine, um, let me know, in, you know, as I was, as I was leaving to come over here, um, I do, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, not just for our organization, for people in Indianapolis who are listening, but people in other cities. I hope this triggers some ideas. You know, we've got business coaching, micro lending. We do a lot of federal small business administration, SBA lending. So our clients just in the last two years have included Artie's on the Go, Country Kitchen, General American Donut, Indiana City Brewing. Um, Wildwood Market. So we, and, and, and I would I would suspect that your listeners, you pro, there probably are similar services and tools maybe at their fingertips that they don't know about. And in some, it is in tough, some, man. In some, cases I, in some cases, I think people don't want to deal with what they perceive to be bureaucracy. And I think there's... I mean, sometimes probably, there are hoops, you know, yeah. and that, and that I definitely, um, some of the SBA loans that we took out, I'm so like, started thinking like, damn, I wish we wouldn't have taken this out. It's just, it's just a lot of paperwork, right? Yep. And I'm, that's not my forte, but yeah, I remember starting out and even still now, man, I lean on, on more experienced guys, um, yep. you know, and, and to, to help me out in those situations. But yeah, in the beginning, 
We didn't know. It's amazing what I didn't know. Like, we just signed a lease and crossed fingers and, like, just, you know, a lot of elbow grease to open the place up and just a lot of hard work. But then we found out much later on that there were, like, resources, yeah. you know. Um, and I think that that's gotten a little bit easier for restaurants because I think, and this is it, maybe you can confirm or deny this, I don't know, um, that it, there's less of a fear around the industry. You talked about the failure rate earlier, but, I mean, I've long said that I think the failure rate's so high is because, you know, like, everybody thinks because they're a good cook that they would have a good restaurant yep. and like you know that's just one small aspect of yep. it or you know you know how to make a good cocktail I'm going to open a bar and if you're not really loaded with the business acumen or or the people that have the business acumen to be able to help do that then you're going to fail yeah. I mean it's already right. it's a tough game anyway like I said it's a tough game and there's no reason to go into it you know with the cards stacked against you I mean maybe you can you can disprove that but I think that that's loosened up a little bit I think yep. You know the success rate and the NIMBYs in a lot of communities too. Um, what does that mean? The, sorry, yeah, <laughs> I know yeah, what yeah. it means, yeah, but sorry, for those not, of yeah, us sorry. that don't, yeah, NIMBY not in my backyard. Actually, I heard a I heard an, a good one too. Uh, bananas, banana, build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. Banana. Oh my god! So we have <laughs> NIMBYs and bananas in our town, and I've noticed. And I don't know if it's a generational thing. I feel like in our city, I suspect in others. Um, with some exceptions, but in ours, their power sort of gets lesser and lesser and lesser. There's more of an appetite to try new things. There is less of a fear of restaurants and nightlife because I think they've seen in a lot of neighborhoods, you know, that's the one investment that really turns things around. Um, and yet I know it's still very frustrating, you know, and so, and that's why we also, uh, as an organization, we've got a guy that all he does is work with businesses through zoning and permitting issues. That's all uh, he does. He's got a full man. plate doing that all day long, you know. It's a nightmare have, here. I yeah. can only imagine, like, um, I was just listening to uh, our friends on the speakeasy, um, Souther Teague and Damon Bolte, we were talking yeah. in, in the most recent episode. I was just catching up today and they were their guest was talking about opening a place in New York and I just started thinking about it like, God, what a nightmare, man. Just like finding a place, going through the permitting and zoning and all that, plus deliveries and just, we're we're really lucky in in that regard that it's a little bit easier to navigate, but it's still complex, definitely, for sure. It is, because government will pass regulations with the best intentions, you know what I mean, especially around these, around, you know, health and safety and things like that, but, and many, I'm, I'm happy that most of those regulations exist, but some things they'll put in place not thinking about impact, and like I said earlier, I mean, I've been doing this long enough to appreciate, I haven't, I haven't had the kind of equity in the game that you have and the kind of risk that you have in the game. But I also understand that businesses don't like risk. You know, they don't like, they like, they like predictability. They like to predict, for instance, that their streets are going to be open. <laughs> Sorry, I keep right. Yeah, right yeah, man. So, but, but um, well, yeah. I mean, so, you know, having said all this is like, what is the, is, is there, I mean, obviously there's not, but I mean, if there were like a magic bullet to like be able to drive that, yep. I mean, what would your ideal Sim City situation yep. be to be able to bring like restaurants and the bars and to bring this balance yep. to the mix? Like what would, you know, I, I, the reason I ask you this is because I really respect, like, if it's not obvious in the, you know, 50th minute of the episode or whatever we're in now yeah. is like if it's not obvious that you're very well educated and well versed in these matters which is why the reason why you work for the mayors uh, I would presume yeah. but um, you know I mean I, I'm really I am curious to hear what you, what you so would think if there it, um, it's not a magic I want to I want to I want to make it open enough for your listeners in other cities I think um, I think the social capital that that people like you have is off, you oftentimes underrate, not you personally, but people like yourself, entrepreneurs, because you get your, you've got your head down and it's, and you're running, you know, a business or different businesses at a time. And so you're not thinking about, oh, 
maybe um, maybe I have a say in how this nearby park is designed or how this nearby you know um, tra- where this transit line runs or things like that maybe and the more that you can get together and um, act as I don't I don't want to say a block because that sounds like a totally political term but yeah but as a as a block as a you know confederation or things like that with other successful entrepreneurs you can be a lot more influential than you probably think in terms of decisions that are made mm-hmm. the other thing is the more that cities get these stories out about things that you've been through and that's why I'll throw it back on you that's why that that post is called the meltdown Oh, I don't know what I don't know what I called it. I think I have. Oh no, I think I ripped off a Hunter Thompson uh, title. I don't. It's it's on uh, shiftdrink.com. But your blog, shiftdrink podcast. You 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 telling your stories about how it really works, and and also the sense of camaraderie that you have with other um, restaurateurs, and you know, is really important because that also signals that to other people who are willing to take certain risks that this is a group of people that helps each other, you know, and these are business owners that help each other. And I know sometimes the competition can be savage, but for the most part, you guys help each other. And Certainly that's here. really important to know that somebody thinking about taking a risk, that they're going to be a part of a community, whether it's official or whether it's just kind of loose in terms mm-hmm. of you knowing each other. And that's one thing we're trying to do as a, and I, I mentioned the best example I can think of comes with music. Cause I know that world better than yeah. I know that I know your industry, but it's like just trying to break down some of these walls be- between the genres because these, these folks likely have more in common than, than, um, than they don't. Um, but I, but I think if I could, I could, I could go back to one point, it's that social capital that you have in your, in your community and in your city in terms of how our decisions are made is likely going to be a lot higher than you think it is. So how do you, how do you put that to use? in a way that isn't too time consuming because you got businesses to run. Sure. So you, um, as a musician, yeah. you know, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing personal wise here before yeah. we wind down. Cause I'm, I'm curious cause I, I don't get it that often to catch up with you and I'm, yeah. uh, you know, you're playing, you're playing in a, a seven lot. piece. That's pretty fucking cool, yeah. man. So, so as you know, so two years ago, I decided we have three young kids and two years ago, I, I decided to get more serious about my physical health and just watch what I eat and exercise mm-hmm. a lot more because I was like, I can't do this job. And of course, family first and, and could do this job and have anything left over for music. So that's been huge. So I'm, I'm in bed by nine every night. I get up about four 30. Man, no, it's uh, that's no, insane. I, I would die in your industry. But, um, so well, yeah, I mean, I, like I, I, I go to bed earlier than I used to because yeah. I have to wake up a lot earlier than I used to because, you know, yeah. there's just a lot of, uh, Vendors and, and purveyors that want to want in early and it's like yeah. now or nothing, yeah, or now or never. But um, I'm still, yeah, I guess I'm still like probably. I, I force myself to go to bed by two every night. Okay. If, I, if I'm not in bed by two a.m., it's gonna mess me up for the next day. Don't so you get like six, seven hours? Is that? Oh possible? no, 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 no. Oh, um, yeah, well, six. I try. I try to aim for six. I don't yeah. always make. Yeah. I didn't make it the last okay. couple weeks, but you know, yeah. I, I push for that. You know. Yeah. No, but it's it's so I've got a seven piece band called we met we met through ch- the chamber so it's called chamber music play on words but uh, we're, play, we're playing a lot yeah we play <laughs> I don't I wish I need some fucking buttons over yeah, here know, like, uh, <laughs> but we're pl- we're playing a lot our our we it's great musicians and our our leads and three of them uh, played in the Indiana University Soul Review so that's great and Vanessa Webb our lead singer is really sensational I mean like like can do all the Shaka Khan you know Gladys Knight stuff she's she's really she's awesome. Um, and so that project has been great. It's really pushed me. So I play keyboards and background vocals in, oh, that, really? in that band. I do. And then, um, 
So yeah, I haven't been playing as much jazz. It's been more pop and R&B. Okay. And I've got two projects, one with a, a great friend of mine, a really talented songwriter named Thomas, who does more of almost like British Invasion-y mm-hmm. influence stuff. I use Ableton, so that's my that's my main DAW. And um, I'm really sorry, because I, I, I cheat on the bass parts. You know, I use like, I <laughs> yeah, use like software yeah. to cheat on the bass parts, but if, you know. It's but, all right, man, it's all right. You know, I'm like, I, I, I can hardly even lay claim to being a bass player anymore. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, yeah. God, I don't know the last time I really sat down and my, my hands wouldn't be able to handle it like it used to. Yeah. You know, 20 years of doing this and like, it's funny to just, uh, you know, life catches up with you. I'm like, ironically, like, you know, I would love to have like just sat and played and, you know, for decades and like doing like, you know, Tom Waits style music or whatever. And right. ironically, I could now sing the Tom Waits parts. Well, I mean, I'll never forget, the first time I asked you, the first time I asked you, I was like, because I, I noticed, you know, your interesting music selections kind of right, right. at your restaurants. And I was like, I was like, so what are you, what are you, so you, and you said you're a bass player. I said, so what are you into? And you were like, mm, metal and bebop. <laughs> yeah. and like not jazz, you know, you're yeah. say metal. And I was like, I've never met a casual metal fan in my life, you know, and and the bebop things kind yeah of man so. i mean i still like that's if you look at the split on my on my albums um going above my turntable like that's exactly what it is but yeah, i think you know spotify's kind of messed that up for a lot we have that conversation a lot in our restaurant yeah with that generational divide um because you know especially here at siam square a lot of my my people that work here are um definitely kind of in that hipster young millenn- they're, they're younger than millennials i don't know what the next generation is um but I had a really hard time making a playlist for them because they were all bitching yeah. about, you know, and and for for the folks out there, like if you're working at a restaurant or you go to a restaurant, you hear the same music all the time, man, lay off the people that make those playlists because it's a lot more work than you think it is. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we're in, we're in this building, you know, 12, 13 hours a day, depending on what shift you're working. Yeah. And I'm here longer and you're going to hear the same music over and over again. It's just going to happen. Yeah. And that's if you have six seven hundred song playlist right it's insane man I and do. people get bored of it it's totally. it's amazing how fast you can get bored of 700 songs and do you i have <laughs> i i have the get off my lawn moment when i'm like yeah. when i'm i'll like say to my younger colleagues i try not to say it very often but it's almost like you know but the is, is the LP going to die, you know, side A and side B? Because they're all into playlists and they're all into yeah. you know, singles and stuff like that. So that's that's my get off my lawn moment. It's, you know, so. it's weird. Yeah. But I mean, it, I think it does prevent people from being turned on to a lot of new music. Like, you know, because you just go right to what you already know, what right yeah. to what you like. You make your playlist, but unless you're forcing, you're forcing yourself out of the box. And that's why I yeah. love vinyl, because like you just said, right? Like, I mean, you're going to listen to the whole thing. Some of my favorite Iron Maiden songs are songs that are not like in the like concert repertoire right like it's not yep. you're not going to hear them perform very often and there's um, a reason they sequence it that way right you know, on yeah the sides. oh yeah. yeah the science that's insane behind yeah. all that yeah, stuff yeah. but i you know i having said that i mean i buy vinyl and that's it like yeah, I, you I know, know like i i, I know I, I love spotify i would uh, yeah. love i would love a uh, sponsorship <laughs> i mean yeah. like that's what all i use at home man you know yeah. it's just everything's on spotify or vinyl Last last thing, since you asked about music, I will say so. And this is a plug for Indianapolis. So, not not enough people know the world's elite jazz and classical piano competitions are headquartered here in Indianapolis through the American Pianist Association. They do each competition every four years, but so every two years there's a competition. It's like summer and winter Olympics, jazz competition, classical competition, and then the international violin competition here yeah, too. Yeah, so that's I, huge. It is, and so it's I, real gotten, cool so too. Got, it, it's so much fun, and so there's there's a lot, and I've I've gotten finally to contribute a little bit more than just being a fan, you know, in the city. Cause I was a fan for so long. So that's been, that's been really gratifying. Um, but still it's like, um, we, we are one of the 
most, um, the highest concert going populations in the country. Really? But it's for mainstream music. Mm, you know what I mean? So okay. it's almost like, it's almost like if you, so, so more people in Indianapolis are going to concerts regularly as a percentage. So that's good. But if you could just read, it's kind of like beer and craft beer. If mm-hmm. you could just take the con, so they're already going out. Could you just get them to try something different the way the craft beer industry is doing? So that, that gives me some hope, but yeah, still- I would love to see more local clubs and stuff yeah. going on in here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, what I, I, as we wrap up here today, I, you can hear it and and we'll have obviously a picture of you as part of the show notes and all that but like what i've always dug about your vibe man is that you can hear the enthusiasm in your voice i'm sure that at this point everybody can hear that as well like but you're like you're genuinely like into it like everything you get into your passion for it is like unbridled you know ecstasy it's like i love what i do this is amazing check out all this cool stuff it's like there's not enough time to like tell everybody all the cool things that are going on and yeah. like I get that vibe from you and I I mean I appreciate you being a cheerleader for the city because Thanks. some people do it just because they're paid to do it you know yeah, no, <laughs> and I am paid to do it but I will say and you know the, the the thing is that we still haven't been able to bottle up here and I think that's just because it's it's for any city it's ongoing it's organic is is that that story which we're writing about Indianapolis has got to be authentically Indianapolis. It can't be Nashville's story and it can't be Austin's story. And so we are, and and, and the growth in your industry helps a lot. You know what I mean? It's it, the stories of these restaurants and knowing that you can access all this great food and liquor and beer and things like that, that that's not just um, accessible to the 1% is so important. And there's, there's a story there that's authentically Indianapolis. And to all your listeners in other cities, there's a story there that is that is you, you know, it's not somebody else's story. And I, so I do, even though the story's writing itself, I do really enjoy that. And I do, again, I appreciate, I very much appreciate what you do. I also appreciate the fact that you're never too busy or too snobby to sort of take time for customers or, you know, especially young people, things like that. Um, you know, a lot of people in your industry are just, have got a different, yeah, I think you know, we're all too busy. Yeah. Vibe, you know? <laughs> but no, but I, I appreciate it. No, man. But I mean, I appreciate you coming on the show. This is definitely a departure from a lot of the other interviews yeah. we've done, but I started thinking about it. Um, you know who we're going to have on the show this week, and I was, I, I just really wanted to address this because I think we're seeing it nationwide, right? Like a, a lot of cities um, outside of New York, San Francisco, yep. Seattle are really seeing this. Even Seattle saw it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a silent partner in a restaurant in Ballard in Seattle. Um, the Fat Hen, you should go there. It's amazing breakfast. Cody Jeffs yep. is one of the best chefs in the country. That's my yep. little plug. But uh, Cody is amazing. But you know, outside of those cities, this is happening everywhere, man. Like that's yeah. why we had this conversation a couple of days ago uh, at one of our kitchens that like, it doesn't matter where you go. Like yeah. if somebody was like, well, I want to take a few days off, but I don't know where to go. And I said, fucking go anywhere. It doesn't matter because this whole food movement and cocktail movement, the wave is spreading across the country. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you go. If your primary intent is entertainment, Yep. As far as food and beverage, you're going to find a good place no matter where you go. And even if it's not like that, quote, top tier, you know, yep. like Chicago, New York, San Francisco, L.A., Seattle, you know, you can go to like places like Raleigh or Richmond or Columbus, uh, yep. you know, and then you're going to have an amazing time in those cities. I'm going to be in Cincinnati in like a yep. week and a half, two weeks to see Metallica. And uh, by the way, if you can give me Metallica tickets, I'll appreciate that. <laughs> but I'm going to go over to Cincinnati to check it out. And it's like, it's an amazing dining scene, an amazing cocktail scene over there. But you don't hear about it a lot. Yeah. So, so I, I'll, in, sort of to sum up, I'll say, 
communities. I said, I think number one, a level of competence and service is so important and we should never under underrate that because in the best idea in the world, if your city's not going to be competent in actually delivering the basics, nobody, you know, it, it doesn't sure, matter. Yeah. Number two, the relationships, and this goes both ways, right? So the social capital thing is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, tapping into those tools that your your city or your, um, your your community organizations have they're probably a lot more than you think there are and then the one that we the one that the, and this is we've been going all over the place but um, tell, constantly telling stories constantly telling story it doesn't have to be like this this sophisticated marketing you know uh, campaign just constantly telling stories so people know the not just the the restaurants and the bars but they know the people behind them is, is so important if you can accomplish some combination of those four things you're probably going to see growth in this in your city awesome well that's uh, sage advice from quite a young gentleman as yourself but uh well, Michael, thank you again so much for coming on the show, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get to hang again soon. I don't see you nearly often enough, but I, I'm going to try to pop down and see your see your seven-piece. Uh, what was the name of your seven-piece? Chamber piece? Music. Oh, that's right, Chamber Music. Absolutely. Right, right. The name's uh, <laughs> February 16th at the High Five. There you go. Uh, well, thanks again, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Ed. Until then, cheers. Cheers.